Good morning. We're going to start 30 seconds early. I need that 30 seconds. I'm going to take it. Welcome to Plainfield Bible. It's so thrilling to see all of you here. We were just commenting about how faithful you all are of coming to Hour One. In spite of the fact that I'm teaching in it this morning, you came back and knew that I was teaching and you still came back. We thank you for that. We appreciate it and we collectively, all of us, I know, appreciate the fact that we have two hours of studying God's Word. Not just one, two. And we could take three or four and I would challenge you, we should. As the week goes on, you should have that time with the Lord yourself. It isn't limited to just Sunday, but what a blessing it is that we can have a place like this, in a country like this, to read this Word of God that is eternal. And um, you want to get used to it, because this, this lasts forever. So we'll hear this for eternity, which is, is pretty amazing when we think about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We proclaim your name and glorify it. You are worthy of our praise. For all of the things we just said, I just noticed in, the, in the, uh, the listing of the songs for today, we are going to sing about how great you are, how great thou art. You most certainly are. We could continue to sing those praises this morning, and we should continue to sing those praises. And is it a reminder for us as we go forward in this text, as we continue to think about what we should set our minds on, what we should be seeking, what we should be considering, what should be the, the processes in our minds, in our hearts, and what the focus should be. I pray that it is always how great you are and how you are enough. You are going to satisfy everything we truly, from an eternal perspective, really need. We praise your name for that. Be with us as we study your word, which is sufficient, more than sufficient. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, before we get into all of that, you see this slide up on the screen here. This is going to be our next series, an excellent series that has been put out. There is a third, uh, I was just talking to Justin about this, just to verify that they're in the process of making a third in this series. It's not finished yet, but these two are excellent. We are going to start that in Sunday school in two weeks, not next week, but the week after. Just to kind of give you a very quick, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but a quick idea of what we're dealing with here. When you look at that title, American Gospel, it may run, there may be a lot of things that are running through your mind. What's unfortunate, and we are in this culture, is that the gospel has been tainted, twisted, distorted a little bit in our culture, in the Western thinking in modern times. And um, this series tries to correct that. Look at the mistakes. How is it viewed in the wrong way? we've talked about so often with our, our wall over here, we don't want to add anything to it or take anything away from it. This is just a good, especially in a classroom type setting, a good look at what the false teaching is, what the, what the twisted gospel is, and then what God's word says about this. Some excellent, excellent thinkers that are, are, we're going to be able to hear from, some great theologians and teachers that, that you... Um, that you've come to, to know and respect and love over the years. Just a little warning about this. We were talking about this yesterday. As we look at this series, they kind of jump from good idea to bad idea real quick sometimes. So you're going to have to be good Bereans and understand that, oh, wait, that's the wrong one. This is the good one. And if you're paying attention, that's good. I don't want you to be taught the wrong thing, but you'll see that as we go through. There's going to be some bad examples and good examples. By the way, much like the Word of God does, the Word of God does not hide the sins of man uses the sins of man to show us what not to do. 
Uh, I think of that. I just taught that this week in seventh grade Bible. I don't want to get off onto a tangent here. But we were talking about God's judgment of their grumbling and complaining. Paul takes the time to say, this is written down for our, our, our example, for an example to us, for our instruction, rather, so that we would see and learn, so we don't fall into the same, from 1 Corinthians, the same temptations, that we keep our head on a swivel, so that we don't fall as well, lest ye too fall. Okay, so that's coming up. Two weeks, we're going to start that. I'm looking forward to it. Many of you have seen this series. It's been a while since I've gone through it in a in kind of a, a study fashion, so I'm looking forward to it myself. So those are the two that are coming. I would imagine that the third will be down the road a little bit, and we'll probably, when that's released, and it's a, is as good as the first two, we'll probably do that one too eventually. Okay, let's get to where we are today. We're in Philippians chapter 4, so you can turn there. We'll be there, and then we're going to jump to somewhere else, but I think it's, it's healthy to look that first. And we'll take a look at this, we'll read it through, and then we're going to actually have to jump back into last week for just a second, and I think it'll help us. But Philippians chapter 4, really quick. And you'll notice the title here, I confused the guys in the sound booth this morning, guys and the gals in the sound booth, because I've got this title, and then I'm going to go back to last week, and then I had American Gospel, so they were all, they thought I'd lost my mind. I may have, but this is what we're talking about this week. So Philippians chapter 4, let's read this text through. You'll see why we need to go back to verse 6 and 7 from last week as well. But this is kind of the, the idea here. What we think in our heart is going to maybe reveal, what we, excuse me, what's in our heart and what we're thinking about considering is who we really are, what's inside of us. That's really what makes a difference. Okay, so verse 8. Let's pick up here at verse 8. I'm going to go back to 6 and 7 in just a moment, but let's read our text through today from 8 through 14, and then we'll break this down. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in what every situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, to abound. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Okay, so that's our text for today. That's what we, you're thinking, how are you going to cover all this? I am. I'm going to do it. And how are you going to do that and review last week? I'm going to do that too. But here's our breakdown for today. We need to think on these things, ponder these things. Our mind needs to be on these things. And we're going to look at what those things are. They are put there intentionally in a list. It's not exhaustive. But it's a good list. And when we start to look at the words that, that Paul has written down for the church at Philippi and for us, we want to ponder these things. But notice he follows the thinking about these things with practicing these things. If we miss that element, if we miss that step, then it's just an intellectual exercise. So we'll talk about that. And then this idea with all of these things in mind there's a piece of there that, that he commends them and then reminds them of his, their concern for other believers, him specifically. But our concern for other believers should be all part of this, that we look beyond ourselves, and then the idea of learning to be content. And I think these definitely connect, and you'll 
Of course, no, I'm going to make sure that we understand the context here. So many Christians take those two verses or three verses out of context. So this is our outline for today. Before we get to these things, we have to go back to last week. And you might remember I, I ended with this, from anxiety to peace. You think, why are you going back to this? Well, first of all, I didn't spend enough time on it. I ran out of time. But second of all, if you don't understand this is what's leading into verse 8, then you really don't understand what Paul is trying to get at. We need to be reminded of this. So if you look back to verse 6, very quickly, verse 6, you're already in Philippians 4. Remember what he said here. Don't be anxious about anything. And I'm not going to break this all down like I did last week because we've already done that. But don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. I'm going to emphasize that. Let your requests be made known to God, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so that's where we ended last week. What I skipped, and I didn't want to skip, so we're not going to skip it, is this from Matthew 6. So please turn to Matthew 6. I thought, thought about this and pondered this, and I thought, you know what? It may, have been, it may have been better that I waited till this week to look at this passage, because... Although we're not going to spend as much time as I had even planned to last week, I do want to put a hyper-focus at the end of this passage. So I'll summarize the beginning because I know you know it. Remember, Christ is is telling us in Matthew 6, I don't hear the pages anymore, he's telling us not to be anxious for the things that we need in life. We're not to be anxious for, and he, he, he kind of goes through what you're wearing and what you eat and what you're going to do and all of these things. You can read that on your own, but I want you to look specifically as we look at this passage at verse 32, because that's going to help us with this week. Verse 32, let's pick it up there. Christ is telling them, hey, don't worry about these things. I know this. Don't be anxious. We, I, I understand that you need these things. But look at verse 32. For the Gentiles, the non-believers, seek after the, all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God. Now, Just pause there for a minute. We're going to talk about what your mind is on, what you're pursuing, what you're contemplating, what your focus is. And he is saying, this is the same idea of what Jesus is talking about here. What are you seeking? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we know as believers, our righteousness comes from Jesus and our relationship with him. Right? We can all confirm that that's true. The great exchange is true of every believer in here. But here's what we also know to be true. It has been imparted on us, but then we are, as we've already discussed in our, in our outline, we are to go through this process of sanctification willingly, humbly, surrendering daily, picking up our cross daily and following him, that sanctification process, we're pursuing Christ-likeness. We're continuing to study his word, and we're going to see this unpacked today, studying his word and growing in Christ And we're going to think on those things, things that make us more like Christ. We can't do that, by the way, if we're not in Scripture, because that's where we find it. So that's a continual reminder. And then notice, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day uh, is its own trouble. Christ is telling us the formula is simple. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Mind's on the kingdom. So as we thought about that, I gave you a, 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 an assignment last week. And, okay, so I asked you to memorize 13, 12. No, I didn't, I didn't do that. 13 through 22 is a great passage. Turn there too, but I didn't tell you to memorize it, although it's a good one. 
Go to Psalm 33. I did tell you to look that over this, this week, and maybe some of you did. Some of my teacher's pets might have done that. But it is a good passage. Again, I'm not going to focus on all of it because we have so many things to look at today. But I want it, just for the sake of transition, I want us to focus at the end of this passage. Now, at the, this, this passage is all about how the Lord, what he looks at, how he's here to help us, that he's sustaining us. Peter quotes this in part, summarizes it in part, about what the Lord is looking at from above. He looks down from heaven and he wants to give us help. But look at the end of this. I'll pick this up at verse 19. This is a great passage, but you've already read it because you did your homework. Notice what it says, verse 19, that he may deliver their soul from death, speaking to the believer whose trust is in him, and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. What's our focus? Our soul is on him. Our focus, our inward being, is on him. It waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. So similar when we're talking about anxiety and what you're worried about. Our trust is in the Lord, for our heart is glad in him. Now, we already read our passage for today, Philippians 4, 8 through 14. Paul's conclusion to all of this is that the peace of God comes to you in verse 6 and 7, right? The the formula that we follow and what we're going to think about today, it results in peace. Now, the term here he he uses is glad, joy, happiness, but it's eternal. It's got an eternal feel to him, to this. Because we trust in his holy name. Notice, we're glad, we rejoice, we're, we're full of joy and contentment because we trust in his holy name. We think on these things. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Hope's in him, focuses on him, so much like what we see. We pursue righteousness because we are thinking about the kingdom of God. We're, we're considering that. We seek first that, and that helps us to transition. So you see how important that was as we go into this. So this is the verse that I just had up. As we go into this, for as he thinketh in his heart, so he is. Now that's the King James, as you can tell, the thinketh. But your Nazbe has, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. A little bit more clear for us as we consider what's going on inside of us, as we think about who we really are, what Christ sees, and what you know about yourself, that's who you are. That's who you are, the eternal piece of you. Who you really are is not the physical, the flesh and blood. This is, this is going away. This is fading away. And, uh, you know, we can think about that as all the aches and pains come and go. Come. I don't know if they go. <laughs> but they come. We know that this is a temporary thing, but who we are on the inside continues to go to, to, to pursue the Lord continues to develop and mature and become stronger, become more like Christ. So that's kind of our focus for today. Back to Philippians 4.8. If you're in Philippians, great. If not, I'm going to bring it up on the screen. I've got it here for the ESV and the NASB for us. Very similar, though. Here's what it says. I've already read the ESV, so I'll read the NASB for you. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, for there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, rather, dwell on these things. Think on these things. Dwell on these things. Think about these things, as we hear from the ESV. So we consider this list. It should make you think about, okay, what we put our minds on. I was reading through Colossians the last couple weeks just in my own Bible study. This wasn't to prepare for a lesson. Um, There's a lot of those, too, but this was just for my own, and I came across this and I had it in mind as we were considering this passage that we just looked at. 
Paul's challenge to the church at Colossae is this, if then you have been raised in, with Christ. So he's clearly speaking to the believer. He's speaking to you if you're in Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above. Sounds like Christ's words, doesn't it? Seek the kingdom of God. Think about these things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It reminds us of, of what we just read in Psalms, that we trust in him who is above, who's seated enthroned above and looks down on mankind our focus is on him and then he doubles down look at paul in verse two set your mind on things that are above that's what we we discipline ourselves to do this not on things that are on earth the temporary the physical the the struggles the difficulties the pain the anxiety we don't focus on those things we're all going to have them in this life there is trouble take heart i've overcome the world right we know that that's part of it some of it's tribulation Some of it's because of our own mistakes. Some of it's just life. We're living in a fallen world, and by the way, it is our fault. We're the sinners that live in this fallen world, and that's why it's corrupt. Some of it is testing, and some of it is persecution. doesn't matter. God says put your focus on things that are above. Why? Because you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What a beautiful thing. Now, just to connect this to last week, I don't have verse 4 up there, but Colossians 1, 4 Just like we talked about last week, the reminder and the motivation, the excitement is, the verse 4 here says, because when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. A reminder of what's coming. So often, Paul brings us back to our hope, our blessed hope. Okay, let's look at these words, and I apologize, I'm hustling through that, but I just thought that was such a good passage to connect the dots for us with what we looked at last week and then this week. Here are our words, here are our phrases that we need to take a look at. And I've got kind of the NASB ESV in there so that you can see both of them. And we're going to break them down one at a time. I'll go through these quickly, but I think it's important to consider what we should be pondering. It's a long list, and it's a good list. So here's the first one, true. And the Greek, Greek word here is aletheis, God's word, absolute truth. Ponder absolute truth. Not your truth, my truth, what we think is true, What God's word says is what we can say is the standard. That's the plumb line. Literally means what can't be hidden. Don't you love that, by the way? Can't be hidden. You cannot possibly subdue God's word. It will will overcome. It means it agrees with reality and aligns with the facts. Not with what you think or feel, but what's real. Unconcealed, worthy of credit, attested because it has been tested. God's word, God's promises, God's prophecies have been tested and found to be true. Mm. And you get to sit in that. You get to hope in that. You get to study from that. You get to apply that. No one else gets to say that. Have you ever just stopped to think about that? That you are privy to the truth. You're instructed by the truth and it will never guide you, guide you wrong. It'll never lead you astray. That's truth. Think on that stuff. Think on God's word. Next one, noble Simonas, honorable and worthy, standing up for, for something, worthy of respect, venerable, grave, serious, dignified, is used to, for, to refer to that which is weighty, deeply respected, because it's viewed as majestic. Those aren't my words. I took this from a, from a commentary, but ooh, that's good. What's majestic, what's worthy and honorable of praise? When you start thinking about our God, we're going to sing this morning, How Great Thou Art. Love that song. Um, it's an incredible thing to consider that, that over the years we've, we've gone through a lot of things in our country and in your lives, and he's still great. 
And he's still worthy of our praise. And he's still noble. Think on him and who he is. He is worthy of respect. Nothing else really is. Nothing else really is. Everything else pales in comparison to the glory of God. Then we'll move on. What's pure? Hagonas. The word originally referred to a condition preparing, prepared for worship or to a condition prepared for worship. Interesting here, a related Greek word, hagios, is translated holy. It refers to things that are uncontaminated. Hmm. Uncontaminated. So next, next series we're going to take is the American gospel. And what I told you in that intro is we've distorted that a little bit here in this country. We've twisted that. Um, we've got a, one of the missionaries that we support are dealing with this prosperity gospel. We just discussed this yesterday. It's, it's starting to come in and it's starting to distort it. The pure, unadulterated version of the gospel that's found in the Word of God is being contaminated. We want to think of the purity of what God's Word says about your life, my life, who He is. As we're going to hear in hour number two, uh, we're starting the book of John. One of John's major focuses is who Jesus really is. Make sure you get that straight. God incarnate, God living amongst us, God taking on human form, human flesh, to live amongst us. We need to understand that's pure. And there's a lot of people twisting that as well. Anyway, it refers to things that are uncontaminated, undefiled from sin, not spoiled and not mixed with guilt. Think on those things. Let's move on. What's right, what's just. As we go through this, the Kaya, God's defined standard of holiness. It's just, it's righteous, it's impartial, especially in the eyes of God. The word righteous is translated from the word to refer to things people, things or people that conform to God's standard. So what does that make me instantly think about is who God is and who I am, his righteousness, his perfection, and how far from that I fall and have fallen. And we all, I can speak for all of us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't know that just because of my you know, observation of you, although I could pick that up, I'm sure. I know that from the word of God. It tells us that we fall short that none is righteous, not even one, that my activity, my righteous deeds are like filthy rags. But what do I consider the righteousness of my God, his mercy and his grace that he's bestowed on me, as we mentioned earlier, in that great exchange? That's what I consider. I think about that. I think it helps us to reteach the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis, keeps us humble and keeps us focused. And righteousness is not our own righteousness, that the things that I do that have eternal value is because God's doing it through me, through his Holy Spirit, the conviction of his word, his Holy Spirit, and then my practice of doing those, that he gives me the power to do, walking in grace, as we've discussed before. The next one, lovely, lovely. And hustling through these, but excellent things to consider. Prosphiles, pleasing, acceptable. These words refer to something that is worth the effort to have and to embrace. It's worth it. And I want you to consider this. This is a compound word. Look at these two things that I've broken down. The pros and the filio, which means extended towards. And then the second piece is meaning affectionate and caring. Extended to this. This is what's good. Now going back to the top of this, it's worth the effort. Okay, Walking with Jesus is not an easy thing. He warned us that it wouldn't be. In John 15, he tells you, I'm the master, you're the servant, you're the slave, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. He's preparing you. He's letting you know. In John 17, he prays to the Father this very thing. And he does this in front of the apostles so they know. They know it's worth it. This is worth the effort. 
Following Christ is worth the effort. And why? Because we go back to what Christ said. We go back to to what we looked at in, in the book of Psalms. We look at and then we consider what we're focused on, what our eyes are on, what Paul said in in Colossians 3, because we know what's coming. That's lovely. What Jesus did, who he is, what we are doing, this, there's an affection you should have towards Christ because he first loved you. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That's the incredible, lovely, beautiful thing that is worth serving. It's worth serving on a daily basis. You'll notice each of these words, I'm kind of bringing them back around to our daily effort, our daily focus on what we do. I'm going to do that because Paul's going to do that. So every time I'm going through these words, it's a, what about me? What about you? What about right now? That's what's lovely. That's what's good. Let's move on. Admirable. So when we look at this word, yopheamia, of good repute, refers to something that is well reported of, spoken in a kindly spirit, reputable, comes from two combined Greek words. Look at this. This you, well, well done, good and rightly, and this feme, a report, fame, saying. Okay? Here's what we have the incredible opportunity to do. You have been handpicked by the God of the universe to be his ambassador. He is making his appeal through you. Now that's a heady thing. And he's making it through me. But this is all believers. Remember, back to if you are in Christ, right? This is now you. And we have... This is the the attitude Paul has to remind himself of, but we need to remind ourselves of from Romans chapter 2. We're not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to save people. It's the power of God to save you. And it's admirable. It's of good repute. It's something that makes a difference. It's something that you should be proud of, not yourself. You're proud of your God. You you take pride in what, what you have the opportunity to do. It's an incredible thing to consider that Jesus said, the things that I did are pretty cool, pretty amazing. Miracles, walking on water, raising the dead, but you're going to do even greater things. Well, what's he referencing? He's referencing the fact that all of those things were signs, authentication of who he was. And they're amazing, and nobody can do them but God. But what really makes a difference, people saw those things and still did not believe. People saw those things and walked away from him forever. We have the opportunity to give the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross, He ascended and left us this business. He says, that's great, because that saves souls. Now, we're not doing it, but we get to share in it. That's admirable. Well done, good, right, all those things. Let's move on. Excellence. Excellence. Virtue, moral excellence, perfection, goodness, gracious act, uprightness. What's excellent? Well, what's excellent is what we know to be walking with Christ. When we look at this uh, several weeks ago in Galatians A pastor covered the sins of the flesh, which are obvious, right? Those are obvious, so we don't spend a ton of time on that. We should know that. Then we go through the fruit of the Spirit. I wish those were as obvious. They should be obvious in you. That's excellent. Walking in the way Christ would want us to is excellent. That's what we should be doing. It's virtuous. It's moral. It's good. I struggle a lot with teenagers and trying to convince them that this is the best way. And it's so hard, I think, as we mature in Christ, we can see, looking back, yeah, God was right all along. That was the right choice. This isn't just life eternal, but life more abundantly. And I can see that. 
whether that be how you approach your relationships, uh, sexual immorality, your thought life, the way you handle relationships or how you approach your job. We know if we follow the Lord's way, it's the better way. But, you know, we're stubborn, and we don't always see that. It's the more excellent way. So we think about what's excellent. God's way of living this life doesn't make it easy, but it's best. It's best. And that's what God wants us to focus on. All right, moving on. Praiseworthy, the best one of the lot. Look, take a look at this because it wraps it all up. Epinos, to think on amazing attributes of God, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. All of them. All of them. I wrote all three of those down in pur- on purpose. You should not unhitch from the Old Testament. Remember what he has done. We talked about that. I, I can't remember, but I've talked about it before. We don't want to forget to tell the next generation what God has done. What he's done in your life right now, your testimony right now, and what he's going to do, what he's promised to do. Think about these. They, are, make, they make him more than praiseworthy. Com- commendation, praise, approval comes from two combined Greek words. Epi meaning on or fitting, which serves to intensify the next word, meaning praise. It's fitting praise. It should be given. It's the only one who deserves it type of thing. No one else fits in this seat. That's fitting. Together, these two, fitting praise, accurate acknowledgement, appropriate commendation. We throw around praise to a lot of people who don't deserve it. Especially as we go forward today, athletes and movie stars and CEOs and rich people and all kinds of things. Okay, They don't deserve it. Yourself, maybe. <laughs> Myself. We like to do that. They don't deserve it. God does. Okay, so we think on these things. We consider these things. They are who we really are. So we need to consider this. But then look at the follow-up in verse 9. He says, practice them. Practice them. Look at verse 9. What you have learned and received, I'll bring it up here, and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will will be with you. Okay? So when we think about this, I want you to look at this commentary I saw. Now, here's the problem. When you're going through all these things, put your notes together. Sometimes you get distracted. I got this from some commentary. I don't know which one it is. So if you'll notice, I don't have something in there that says, I think it's the Moody commentary. Maybe not, but I lost track of it and I didn't have time to go back. But it's a great quote. Take a look at this. Practice. Here's the Greek here. Prosso refers to repetition or continuous action. Follow with this. Practice as a habit. Paul uses the present imperative thus, commanding believers to continually practice these things as their normal way of life. Notice all the present imperatives used by Paul in calling the saints to follow his example imitating him by practicing and becoming doers of the word. This is not by a momentary emotional response. That's so critical here. It's not an emotional response. It's what you do. But it is to become in the saints the way of it's the saints way of life. Are you imitating Paul who imitated Jesus? This is real Christianity in bold. This is disciples making disciples and living the supernatural Christ life in the power of and dependence on the indwelling spirit of Christ. Beautiful. Our English word practice has similar connotation, for we speak of a doctor as having a practice because his profession maintains a normal routine. It's what he does. He's practicing medicine. He does it every day. It's what he is. He's a doctor. Christians are to make their practice to lead godly, obedient lives, to lead others to him through our example. Great commentary. I don't know where it came from, but it is a good one. 
Okay? That's what we're focused on. So Paul says it like this in 1 Thessalonians 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk, and he says the same thing in Philippians 4, so he's doing this again, and to please God. This pleases him just as you are doing. Notice that you do so more and more. Sounds like he's saying practice it. Do so more and more. Continue to do this. Should you be happy that you're serving the Lord today? Yes, you should be. Should you consider that good, that you're doing it today? Yes, you should. But tomorrow's a new day, and we can easily slip away and get complacent and get lazy and fall into some of the old traps that we fell. Continue to do this. Okay? Don't kind of rely on what you've done in the past. Continue in this. Notice what he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. Don't neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you, specifically a man to lead a church and teach and preach. But this is to all of us. Practice these things, he says to him. So look at how he says practice them. Immerse yourselves in them. What do we immerse ourselves in? A lot of things that aren't the word of God. A lot of things that aren't on that list that we just went through. A lot of things that don't, and I'm speaking to myself here. We immerse ourselves in things that don't matter. I'm not, I'm let you fill in that blank. So that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. You see the consistency? Absolutely the Holy Spirit is who is making us more like him. Absolutely that is happening. But you play a role in this. You can resist him. We've seen too many examples of people who are in Christ who haven't done it the right way. We use these examples to learn from them. We need to consistent, consistently pursue righteousness. This goes right back to what Christ said in Matthew 6. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's a proof that you're in Christ, not earning your salvation, but your example then leads others to him. One more, and then we got another quote that's fantastic. For the, by this time, from Hebrews 5, you ought to be teachers. It should be. This is a challenge to all of us if you're struggling in your maturity in Christ. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. He's trying to challenge you. You should be to solid food by now. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by what? Constant practice. How do you become mature in Christ? Constant practice. You continue to put it into practice. And then you can distinguish good from evil. It's, it's kind of like, this goes back to Romans 12. How, do we, how can we discern the will of God? Well, it's, we're setting our minds on what God wants us to set our mind. We're not persuaded and transformed by the world, but by the renewing of your mind from God's word. It's constant practice to become a mature believer. Here's what Wearsby said, longtime pastor at Moody. Paul balances four activities, learned and received, and heard and seen. It is the one thing to learn a truth, but quite another to receive it inwardly and make it a part of our inner self. Quite another thing. Facts in the head are not enough. We must also have truths in the heart. In Paul's ministry, he not only taught the word, but also lived it so that his listeners could see the truth in his life. Paul's experience ought to be our experience. We must learn the word, receive it, hear it, and do it. I'm going to repeat that. You might want to write that one down. It's not mine, it's Wearsby's. We learn, we learn the word, we receive it, we hear it, and then we do it. The peace of God is one test of whether or not we are in the will of God. If we are walking with the Lord, then the peace of God and the God of peace exercises their influence over our hearts. Whenever we disobey, we lose that peace, and we know we have done something wrong. Right praying, right thinking, right living, 
These are the conditions for having the secure mind and the victory over worry. Connecting right back to last week. Formula right there for us. Excellent, right? Superb. By the way, I, I was looking at him as I was going through just to remind myself, he, he continued to serve the Lord until he was 89 years old, pursuing this and continuing this and living this out. And, you know, at 89, just continuing to serve the Lord. Fantastic stuff. Uh, I, I can see my time is going. I'm going to give you another assignment. You need to read 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11 on your own. Put that in your assignment. I'm going to at least read uh, 10 and 11 to you, but read that whole passage because I don't have time to take you there like I wanted to, but here's what it says in the very last two verses. Again, we get a therefore from Peter, just like we have from Paul. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Does that mean that things won't, that, that you, don't, you, you win all the time? Does that, that mean that everything goes well for you all the time? That you get all the money you need all the time? That, you know, you win, win, win? No. It means that if you practice these qualities, you're going to continue to, to, do, to accomplish the will of God. That's what really matters. Remember, back to what Jesus said, we have our minds, we seek the kingdom of God. Our, our, our minds, Colossians 3, are things above, where Christ is. That's what we consider. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's proof that you're saved if you're pursuing these things. And then very quickly on this one, Paul, and he, I'm going to take 10 and 14, a little out of order, but I want to show them to you both at the same time. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I think it's Paul just commending them, but it's an encouragement that while we do all of these things, notice what Paul says. I've got 10 and 14 up there. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now and at length you've revived your concern for me. It may indicate that now, this was 10 years ago that they had given him money and supported him financially. It may indicate that he's saying something about the fact that they had forgotten about him. I don't know if that's true, but you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And I think that qualifies it a little bit for us, that they hadn't had an opportunity. They hadn't seen him, and other things had come up. Again, in verse 14, it closes with this, yet it was kind of you to share in my troubles. There is an element to walking with one another that is part of that list of things we should consider, it's other people, other believers, supporting other believers. You realize what you're doing here today. It isn't just for me to spew things out at you. We're here to stir one another up to love and good deeds, Hebrews 10, right? This is concern for other people, praying for them daily, talking about them with one another, thinking about ways that we can help and support one another. That's good, and it helps us to rejoice. Notice Paul is rejoicing in the Lord that that is happening. He appreciates, it's encouraging, encouraging one another like that. Fantastic stuff. And this probably goes back to the generosity of this Philippian church. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but look at what I focused on here at the very end of this passage in verse 9. He, he specifically is probably referencing this church when he's telling to the church in Corinth what they've done. And he says, for the brothers, these guys he's just talking about in Philippi, who, cared, who came from Macedonia, supplied my need. They literally did something physically, took action to help a brother in Christ. And that's, I think, what Paul is referencing here. Without question, that's what we see. Now, I'm going to have to skip a couple things about that, but uh, another couple pieces of homework. If you go to 1 John 3, write that one down. By this we know the love of God, that he laid down his life for us, but it ends with that uh, by this we know that we are the truth and reassurance of our heart before him. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. 
And, and, he's, he, and the focus of this is, let us not just love with word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Okay, So there should be some of that here in 1 John 3. Read that on your own. All right, learning to be content. We're going to finish with this in our last five, six minutes, maybe more. But learning to be content. Okay, This one is probably the passage that is taken out of context maybe more than anything else in the Bible. I don't know. I've never done a poll on this. But I hear it all the time used in the very wrong, twisted, distorted way. I'm not going to go all the way back to the slide, but remember one of the words was focus on what's pure. Don't distort the Word of God. How do we not do that? We read it in context. We study it in context. We take the time to do that. So here's what Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now you consider everything we've read, all the trouble, all the difficulty. We've cons- we consider anxiety that he discussed last, we discussed last week. He just three verses earlier talked about. He's, he's keeping that in mind, and then what he's focusing on, his solution, his formula, God's formula to not struggle with that sin, he understands contentment. That's what it's about. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, be, to abound. In and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, before we look at some of the ridiculousness of how it's taken, let's look at the word, a couple words here in the Greek. Content. Content. To be satisfied or to be self-sufficient or simply sufficiency. What Paul is describing, he's describing the conditions and positive effects that the process of progressive sanctification has had on his life. He's looking at what Christ has done through him, through the good, the bad, the ups and the downs, and he's looked at this walk with Christ and how it's just, for him, from an eternal perspective, it's all the same. This is all part of God's will. This is all part of what God wanted me to go through, the hard, the easy. It's all part of the process of sanctification, and it's had on his life through the victories, the setbacks that the Lord has brought him through. That's the contentment. It's not about wins and losses, money and poverty, even though that's part of what he's discussing here. It's not about trying to have your best life now. Okay, That's not what it is. There's something different about this. Now, there's a couple other phrases here. Brought low and abound. So this particular brought low, humble means, little food, clothing, basic necessities. In some situations, Paul didn't have much at all of what we would consider things that people worry about. Back to Matthew 6. You see why I went to there to to start with today. Jesus references our basic needs. He's been in a situation where God's humbled him, brought, brought him to that place where he's solely dependent on the Lord, and he considers it good that it's good for his walk with the Lord that he's dependent on him. How to abound. This is abundance. Interesting here, this term, this Greek term, was used when referencing having more than enough. It even describes the process of fattening up an animal. More than they need. He's been in that situation, and I would say, Paul would tell you he's learned that he doesn't get too high on that either. That he doesn't, that doesn't get too arrogant with that either. Too prideful with that either. That he's learned lessons of this is a season. God's giving me these things. I have these things so that I can proclaim his name, bring him glory, and do his work. Now, what do most people in our world do with this? Well, I have to go to athletics. I just quickly did some searches. Take a look at some of this. And by the way, I respect Tim Tebow tremendously. I'm not saying he took this out of context. But so often, these are athletic examples 
John Jones, who's a fighter, championship fighter, has it tattooed right across his chest. I've heard him use this in the wrong way. I won that championship because the Lord let me do it. Yeah, this is Stephen Curry. I believe that's his foot. And you have Philippians 4.13, Evander Holyfield, Philippians 4.13, Tim Tebow. This high school football team even put it on a flag. We're going to win the state championship because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And maybe, maybe you want to go buy something that's got that. You can get socks, you can get a t-shirt, some gloves, and a baseball glove that has it stamped right on there so that you can win a championship. You've seen the context. It's got nothing to do with sports. It's got nothing to do with your success in business. It's got nothing to do with somehow you becoming the greatest at whatever you're pursuing. It's not that, and it never will be that. Paul is giving us a focus about what this really is about. Notice what he says, more Greek. I can do all things. So be strong and to have strength. I have this, these, two, these two things going on. He had the strength to withstand all things, not to win all things, to withstand them, to continue on doing what he already started doing. See, the victory is won at the cross. Jesus is the victor. He's the king. He's the champion. We're representing him. It's not about winning and losing. It's about continuing proclaiming his truth and his victory. Strengthens, to put power into I love this because this is really about the Holy Spirit infusing believers with the sustaining power and strength because they are in Christ, which is what we heard earlier. Two different passages. If you're in Christ, that means he's in you, you're in him. It's a, I know him, he knows me. That's what we're looking at here. And my fellow boot wearer, Phil Johnson, has a great quote on this too. Here's what he says. Paul points to the Lord's power as the ultimate answer to every hint of human discontent. He's not talking here about faith that moves mountains or human potential or inward desires that leads a person to think they can accomplish anything that they set their mind to. That's not what this is about. Paul is saying that it is God's power along with God's grace that has enabled him to be content or to contended in all of his trials. He can continue to do the work of the Lord because God is with him and this is God's work. That's what we're talking about here. And then we're going to close with this. I'm doing pretty good here. Ephesians 3 14 through 19. This is the reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through what? His spirit in your inner being. This is where your power comes from, the real power. Oh, we can accomplish earthly things in our own strength, all kinds of things. Non-believers do it all the time, but those are temporary things. Things you do in your own strength, even if they look good, they are temporary because they're for your glory, of another person's glory, for your, for your monetary gain, for some sort of fame or pride. I don't know. But when we do things that are of eternal value, the Spirit's involved in those. That's in our inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, the love of Christ, the love for others, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is what it's about. And in every situation, this particular particular verse is so trouble and, and good. Winning and losing. It's so that you know him better. You know who he is better. You give him glory more so that we know the length and the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of who Christ is and what his love is. Don't have time for it, but you know, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul had this thorn in his side. What was the conclusion? Oh, he prayed desperately. We don't even know what the thorn was. Some trouble. Some, I think that's perfect that he doesn't tell us. I think it's perfect. Of course it's perfect. It's in the Bible. So you think, ah, what's my thorn? 
and you, you ask God desperately, please take this away. No, my grace is sufficient for you. Right? Through your weakness, my power is, is shown. That's what this is about. It's what the whole thing's about. It's not about winning a football game. There's going to be a lot of people quoting Philippians 4.13 in the conference games today. And it's got nothing to do with it. Okay? It's got to do with serving him the right heart for the right reasons because we know what kind of God we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the clearness of your, your word and the pureness of it, the excellence of it. It's praiseworthy. You're praiseworthy. And we give you praise and honor for this. I pray that we are not just intellectually going through an exercise this morning. There's a lot of stuff here today, a lot of things that we were learning from your word and so, many, so much depth, but it, it can't stay intellectual. Challenge each one of us. Convict every believer in here to put this into practice, to diligently do it daily in our walk, in our talk, in our thoughts, as we go on away, as we lay down to sleep, just as we hear from Moses so many years earlier. I pray that we continue to do this and we practice these things because of this upward call that we have, because we're thinking on things that are above. We thank you for the kingdom that is coming. We thank you for the fact that we do have the hope of eternity. We thank you for that. In the meantime, I pray that you continue to help us, convict us to do this. And if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know what we're talking about, they don't know your son, they don't know this gospel, I pray that it becomes abundantly clear today to them, our one and our two, that it is because of grace that we are saved through faith, and it is in Christ alone that we have our redemption. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.